Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Karma You podcast. This is your host, Chloe Brotheridge. I'm a coach, a hypnotherapist, and I'm the author of The Anxiety Solution and Brave New Girl. And this podcast is all about helping you to become your calmest, happiest, and most confident self. So welcome to today's episode. I am joined by Dr. Sarah Vora, who is a consultant psychiatrist. So she is the perfect person to speak to about all things mental health and mental well-being. She's got a new book out called The Mind Medic. She's also called The Mind Medic on Instagram. You might have heard of her. Your Five Senses Guide to Leading a Calmer, Happier Life. And I think this is a brilliant book for anyone that wants to be calmer and happier. That's probably all of us listening. So we get into topics such as saying no. And I love the example that Sarah shares to help us to think about saying no in a different way. We talk about dealing with comparison, particularly, you know, around lockdown. Most of us have been on our devices, on social media more than ever. It's more of a problem than ever, unfortunately, but Sarah has some really good advice on this one. We talk about a really powerful technique to deal with worries and we talk about how to use your senses to calm anxiety. If you would like some free resources to help you to be more confident, ditch the imposter syndrome, quiet the inner critic, you can head over to my website karmayou.com forward slash confidence and download my free affirmations for confidence. If you've been telling yourself negative things about yourself, it's time to turn that around and start to say some positive, encouraging things to yourself instead. And you can head over to my website, karmayou.com forward slash confidence and get that freebie now. So let's get into the interview with Dr. Sarah Vora. Good. So welcome, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited about your new book, which is out on the 16th of July. Um, We'll talk about that in a moment, but could you tell us a bit about what you do and um, what your day-to-day job involves and the sort of people that you help? Yes, so my name's Sarah Vora. I am a consultant psychiatrist. So day-to-day, I see patients who struggle with a whole host of mental health difficulties from things like depression, anxiety, OCD, eating disorders, grief, so a whole host of conditions. On the side, I've kind of carved out this alternative career online because a few years ago, I was finding that I was getting really frustrated with the amount of misinformation online. And I think with something as sensitive as mental health, it's so important that the right information is out there and that it's delivered by expert sources. So I started the Mind Medic three or four years ago, 
and decided it was just going to be my way of debunking mental health myths, giving people practical tips and tools that they can incorporate into their everyday. So on the one hand, the day job, I'm seeing people every day and helping assess, treat, and, and treatment can be anything from psychological therapies to family therapies to, um, in severe cases, medication. Um, and then the other hand, I've carved out this other career around kind of public education, thinking about ways that people can feel empowered to make those small changes at home. Sounds amazing. I'm really curious, you mentioned about the myths that you wanted to debunk. Can you share a couple of the the myths that you have seen, I don't know, spread around, whether it's social media or kind of like a, I don't know, it's like an urban myth or something that you really want to debunk? Can you share anything like that? I suppose one of the common myths is around what a psychiatrist looks like or what they do. Um, I think often there's this preconceived ideas that a psychiatrist just gets you into a room, lays you on a couch, and then is very quick to prescribe medication. And that's not the case at all, because there's lots of different avenues that we go down before we even consider medication. So that was one of the myths that I was really keen to debunk was around how quick psychiatrists are to prescribe medication. And the other thing was around if you feel down, if you feel anxious, then you must be depressed or you must have an anxiety disorder. And actually, what I really wanted to do is not I wanted to normalize just normal human emotion. You know, every day we may experience moments when we feel sad or we feel worried or anxious. And I suppose it's the degree to which that impacts your everyday So by the time someone comes to see me in clinic, it may be affecting areas such as schooling, it might be affecting their job, it might be affecting their friendships and relationships. And so I really wanted to kind of set aside and and make, make clear the difference between feeling low and down, and then what would constitute, you know, say a depressive or an anxiety disorder, which might need the support of a psychiatrist. Right. And is that something that you you know, people should go and get diagnosed, I suppose, properly by a doctor to see whether it is just this kind of normal everyday worries or more, you know, clinical anxiety or clinical depression. I suppose what I would be interested in knowing, you know, as a doctor is how much those difficulties are impacting your everyday. So if you are feeling down, or if you are feeling worried, but it's not getting in the way of you functioning. So it's not getting in the way of you getting up, getting dressed, showered, Um, getting in the way of family life you're able to go to work and it's not distressing or impacting those sort of that level of functioning then I would say keep an eye on it but the moment it does change things then I would probably seek advice for doctor so one of the exercises that I do is something called a day in the life of and I always use the example of my five-year-old to demonstrate this because I think a lot of the time people think what has a five-year-old got to feel worried or down about but it just demonstrates beautifully that you can pick up really subtle signs that things aren't right for you or for someone else. So for instance, she bounds into my bedroom nice and early, six o'clock in the morning. She's generally really, really content. She wants to get changed there and then. She wants to go downstairs, have a breakfast, watch her favorite cartoon. Now, I've given you a snapshot of what her morning routine's normally like, but if I was noticing that she wasn't bounding into my bedroom until eight o'clock in the morning, that she seemed down or low or a little bit worried, maybe it was a real struggle to get her dressed on the morning. Maybe she was off her food and didn't really fancy watching her favourite TV programme. 
immediately there's something there that indicates that something's going on for her, whether it's with her physical health or her mental health. So what I would ask people to do is think about what their baseline is. What is the norm for them from the moment they wake up to the moment they go to sleep? And then also thinking about their sleep as well. And then what by doing that, you can pick out changes relatively easily. So if you're noticing that you're someone that used to be really motivated, a lot of get up and go in the morning, but you're finding it's a real struggle, or maybe you're someone who never used to make mistakes at work and you're finding you're constantly being pulled up on mistakes that you're making, um, or maybe your boss has expressed concern for you. Maybe you're someone that used to be able to fall asleep relatively okay on an evening, but finding that you're, you're struggling a little bit more. So already you've generated a list of things that may indicate that something's not quite right and may be worth seeking further support for. That's really fascinating. I think um, looking for those clues in terms of your life on the outside, how it's affecting your life day to day. Do you think that sometimes people don't, sometimes, I don't know, if we can slip into a lower mood and... I know lots of people are like this and I'm a bit like this where if I'm in a low mood I can't imagine ever having felt okay it's really all-consuming if I'm feeling anxious it's like I can't remember a time when I wasn't anxious and I suppose that's one of the um, kind of tricks that these things these mental issues kind of play on us but is it do you think it's true that people can almost not realize that that's happening that they're kind of getting into a, a lower mood or getting into a more anxious state I mean, it certainly can be something that creeps up on them. It might be that they do notice kind of subtle signs, but they're quick to dismiss them because they get wrapped up in sort of the fast pace of life. And as lockdown restrictions are easing, maybe some of what they're feeling gets lost in that. I found it really interesting over the last 10 weeks that a lot of the time people have been forced to take stock of how they're feeling. You know, this is the first time in a long while where people aren't facing sort of the rat race of everyday life of the busy commutes dropping the kids off at school and actually they're forced to kind of sit with how they're feeling for the first time Um, and that can be really really frightening really really overwhelming Um, and I think you know as much as it might be down to you to kind of think about what's changed or how you're feeling actually thinking about your relationships with other people and it may be that a family member notices that you're not quite right or it might be a colleague or a friend because now we're in a position where we can actually meet up with friends um so I think it's it's really important my underlying message is actually kind of to shine the spotlight on yourself what's changed what's different what are you struggling with but also to be mindful of what's going on around you as well um because it may be that someone else shares that they're a bit worried about you or that they've noticed something's changed um that may force you to take action yeah I wonder as lockdown is easing if people will notice changes going back out into the world because I guess is it hard to compare your life your normal life with lockdown life because it is so different and actually maybe people will have realizations or decide to make big changes in their lives because of what they've experienced they've had a taste of not having to get on the tube every day or wanting to make changes in that way Absolutely. And the other thing is, we're kind of reflecting a lot on the negatives, but a lot of people will gain quite a lot of positives from being in lockdown. Actually, it may have forced them to reevaluate what's important to them. You know, what, what relationships are important to them? Is getting the commute to work? Is that worth it? Is, is the payoff worth it? 
it may be that actually for the first time they've been able to incorporate some regular exercise and movement into their day because normally it's a toss-up between the commute or you know having a really good workout to set them up for the day um it may be that they've been able to just enjoy the art of home cooking or cooking for family so i think often we are hearing these more positive stories coming out of lockdown of what it's allowed people to to consider what's important to them and and to those around them yeah absolutely i think yeah let's try and focus on some of the positive things that are coming out of it um i loved your book by the way Thank the mind you. medic your five senses guide to leading a calmer happier life it's not only a really beautiful book, beautiful colours and illustrations, um, but it's extremely relatable. I love some of the the case studies that you share that are so relatable and interesting and just the really practical nature of it where you're really taking people through, you know, different areas of their lives and giving them strategies to, to help them. Can you, can you tell us a bit about your book and um, how it came about and what does it mean the five senses can you explain that thank you so much for that feedback first of all I think for me it was really important to pull people in with personal stories because I could sit there and share lots of practical tips and tools that I think would be helpful but actually it, it, unless you can relate to some of the difficulties that are being described it's really hard for you necessarily to implement them so I think actually having the hook of the case studies is really really important because it demonstrates actually how useful these strategies can be and the payoff in the long run. So the five senses really came about because I was getting a lot of people coming into clinic that were saying, I'm feeling down, I'm feeling anxious, but I can't quite place my finger on why I'm feeling the way I do. So I thought of a strategy that would mean that they would be able to pinpoint life stresses that could have a role to play in, in why they're feeling the way they do. So I would ask them, you know, is there anything that you've seen, heard, felt, smelt or tasted that could explain why you're feeling the way you do? And actually, very easily, they could, you know, list a couple of things that were going on for them. So, you know, for instance, the sense of sight chapter covers areas such as social media, screen use, the people that you see, body image, you know, all things that we come into contact with every day of our lives that we probably take for granted or has just become normalized that we don't necessarily put two and two together that that may have a role to play in how we're feeling the sense of hearing so that covers the way we talk to ourselves or listening to our internal no the sense of feeling is feeling imperfect or feeling underconfident or feeling that you're under pressure and how you lighten the load your sense of smell covers areas such as self-care and it also covers something, um, so I look at smell in the hypothetical sense, so spelling the BS. So this idea that online, there's <laughs> <laughs> this idea that online and offline, for some reason, we can't seem to rationalize the information that's presented to us, that when people are selling us an idea, a belief, even a product, th that they must be right, that actually what they're selling to us must be true. And actually what I force people to do in that section is to really critically evaluate the information that's being presented to them and the impact that it has, it has on them as well. And then finally, the sense of taste looks at areas such as our relationship with food um, and also things like caffeine, which we know, I mean, I'm someone that I really struggle with my caffeine use, um, and that, but I know that it's not necessarily good for me. And 
finally, taste in the hypothetical sense. So thinking about um, revenge, so revenge tastes sweet and why anger often does get a bit of a bad rap, but anger is actually a means of communicating an, un- an underlying emotion. And actually, what again, what I force people to evaluate in that chapter is what is your anger or other people's anger really trying to communicate? So the book really delves deep into all those areas. I mean, that's just a snapshot of some of the areas that I cover. And then more than that, I include ask yourself sections within the book. So the ask yourself sections, you know, you might say on face value, oh, well, screen use isn't a problem for me. Or actually, I'm quite content in my friendships and relationships. But those sections really allow you to to sit and evaluate in depth how those you know issues are serving you and it might be by the end of it you think oh actually maybe my screen use is a bit more problematic or maybe actually when I do spend time with this particular individual it I I leave feeling a bit more on edge a bit more anxious and then the five sense challenge is about linking the two so once you recognize that something is a difficulty for you the five sense challenge encourages you to incorporate a small change into your life every day and the way we measure the progress is through my well-being thermometer. So I have a well-being thermometer dotted around the book and I give the readers the opportunity to measure their well-being temperature. So it might be that your screen use. So for me, I know sometimes my screen use can be a red, which is it can sometimes generate quite negative feelings that get in the way. It forces me to procrastinate from what I'm meant to be doing or I can find myself feeling really enraged or socially comparing myself to other people. But once I incorporate the five sense challenge around screen use, I might find that I come down to a blue and a green where it's actually not detrimental, where I'm able to get along with my day without being distracted by my screens. Um, so, you know, I hope for, it's, it's going to be a book that's going to be really practical, lots of tips and tools. And it's not a cookie cutter plan. So it's not a case that I'm presenting one plan for every individual. It really empowers the reader to generate a plan that's really bespoke and individual to them. Amazing. Yeah, I definitely recommend listeners check that out. It's out on the 16th of July. I think it'll be perfect for the the Karma You listeners. Um, You mentioned there about the screen time thing. And I, I don't know if you found this, but I found that it's one of those things a bit like, maybe a bit like alcohol and smoking, where if you suggest to someone that they maybe are using their screen too much, it's kind of like you're taking their, or like your coffee, you're you're taking their coffee away from them. And I notice it in myself being like, I don't even want to admit that that's a problem. Or is that, I don't know, that's because we're kind of hooked on it. So we're in denial somehow. Um, But I think at the moment, we probably are using our screens more than ever. Um, And you mentioned comparison there. Um, do you have any sort of advice for people who um, maybe are starting to recognise that their screen time is is kind of getting out of control or for people who are getting themselves into that social comparison that you mentioned? I always have a rule first thing on the morning that I do not look at my phone until I'm fully showered, dressed, had my breakfast, done what I need to do. Because you can imagine that if you're sat away, you know, sat in bed, and you reach for your phone, you're checking emails, phone calls, text messages that have come in overnight, and then you decide to scroll through your social media, and you're immediately met with someone's sweaty post-workout selfie, or someone's divine smoothie bowl, or the fact that someone's actually already on their way to the office, or fired up their computer and sent 100 emails. 
and you're sat there in your pajamas. You know, instantly that comparison is set up the moment you wake up. So what I always ask people to do is actually get yourself sorted, ready on a morning before you even reach for that phone. So allow that hour literally just to be for yourself. I also would ask people, what is it that you're using your screen use for? And again, in the chapter on screen use, I look at screen use in three different ways. So there's a screen use that is the non-negotiables, the things that you absolutely have to do. So it might be that you have to send a work email or that you have to send a text to a friend because you're going to be meeting up later. Those are the things that you can't negotiate. You do need to use your screens to use that. Then there's the things called the like to do. So I know for me, I love nothing more than sitting down on an evening and watching a box set or I love firing up an audiobook or a podcast on my way to work. Those are the things that I really enjoy and I get real pleasure from. And then finally, there's the not entirely necessaries. So we've all been there when you're sat, not doing very much, and you reach for your phone, and you're not really sure why you've reached for it, but you kind of commit to it. And before you know, know it, you've wasted 20, 30 minutes of just mindless scrolling, mindless consumption. So I would ask people, Think about your screen use in those three categories. And what will happen is every time you reach for your phone, I want you to ask yourself, is this something that's a non-negotiable? Is this something that I like to do? Or am I going down the route of something that's not entirely necessary that may well not serve me? And actually, the moment you do that, you actually, it does stop you in your tracks because you suddenly realize, actually, I'm just picking up my phone for the sake of it. I'm not, I, there's no action that I'm going to be taking from picking up my phone. So it kind of creates this discipline around it. And, you know, a lot of people might be listening and saying, well, actually, I don't have a problem with screen use. I think it, it's only really in the cases where you find that picking up your screens, you're pulled into social comparisons, you feel more anxious, maybe you're struggling with sleep because you're not turning off your screens until last thing on night, and then you're trying to hit your head to the pillow and, and trying to force yourself to sleep. So again, within the book, I talk about um, the wellbeing thermometer and getting people used to thinking about their screen use and how problematic it is, and then encouraging those small um, practical solutions to to see whether or not that makes a difference to how they're feeling. It's, it's such a vulnerable time in the morning when we first woken up. I know that it's like, I don't want to be putting anything negative or stressful into my mind for the first few minutes, particularly because I've, I've had times where I've, you know, read my emails and suddenly been full of adrenaline at 6am and felt like I had to get on with things. And then yeah. I can't meditate and because my mind's kind of in this anxious state. So I yeah, I love the idea of, yeah. And that's the problem is when you're checking your emails first thing on the morning, it creates that sense of urgency that you have to act on it straight away before you've done everything else to kind of make you feel half normal. Um, so it's absolutely for that reason that what you don't want to do is offset the meditation that's really important to you or you know, having a really nice leisurely shower because you're suddenly, the pace of your morning is suddenly dictated by something that's come through on your screen. Mm, yeah, such a such an important thing to remember. I love those questions just to prompt yourself to just question whether it is a non-negotiable, whether it is that important. I, I found myself yesterday, I became aware that my computer was loading slightly slowly and I literally couldn't wait like the two seconds for my computer to load. So I picked up my phone. I made a promise to myself if my computer's being slow that I'm just gonna sit with it and not um 
because I'm, I'm in such a rush. Well, I must have been in such a rush yesterday that I couldn't like wait for two seconds. So <laughs> slowing down, slowing down and just allowing myself to be a bit more. Um, another topic that I really wanted to ask you about um, and that you include in your book is the, the topic of saying no. And this is something that is very close to my heart and also something that I struggle with from time to time um what is your take on on saying no what, what, what sort of ideas and advice do you have around that I think saying no is also something that I really struggle with because I think saying no conjures up this idea that I'm being selfish that I'm just me 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 that I'm being unhelpful and that can be a really difficult thing to sit with but actually when we say yes to something when we really mean no we can end up taking on more than perhaps we can handle we may risk burnout we may actually end up resenting the person that's got us to say yes in the first place so the way I look at saying no so I I kind of give this analogy within the book which is around going on holiday which seems like a bit of a distant um thought at the moment given we're in lockdown but I just want you to imagine for a second that I've agreed that we're going to go on holiday and we've we've picked the destination we decided we're going to go to a nice sunny beach and so we go back we pack everything that we need got our tickets ready go to the airport checked our bags in and then we're on our way to the gate and then someone stops us in our tracks and says Sarah clever you don't want to be going here you want to be going to this destination instead so what would you say in that situation? No. <laughs> <laughs> and then an alternative, an alternative scenario is, right, I'm going to, I want to go on holiday. I'm not really sure where. Let's just pack, pack for every eventuality and we'll meet each other at the airport. We'll have a look at the departures board and we'll decide what takes our fancy. So we get to the departures board and we're just pondering over the options that there, that there are there. And the same person comes up to us and says, oh, you want to check this place out? What would we say in that scenario? Mm, well, I guess we might be more likely to say yes, because Absolutely. we haven't made our decision. We yeah. don't we know what we want. So you just think, actually, what is the difference in those two scenarios? With the first scenario, we were very clear about what our intentions were, what we wanted. You know, we were prepared for this sunny holiday and therefore we packed accordingly. So the fact that someone presented an opportunity to us that went against everything that was important to us made it easier for us to say no. However, when someone catches us off guard, when perhaps we're not really clear about what our intentions are or what we want, we've kind of come half prepared. Actually, it's much easier to be swayed into saying yes. So the exercise within the book on saying no really forces you to evaluate what's important to you personally. What's important to you in terms of your social life? What's important to you in thinking about things like work and and educational opportunities? And it makes you consider, actually, if someone presents an opportunity that goes against everything that's important to you, what's the pressure in saying yes to that individual? And so I think what's really important for people to bear in mind is actually saying no is really more about self-preservation especially if saying yes is going to to burden you make you feel anything other than calm and happy and it's not going to serve you in the long run as well yeah I I hate that feeling of um having agreed to do something and then the day rolls around where that thing has come along and I'm just feeling like oh why did I say yes to this I've got so many other things that I need to do or so many things that I'd rather do and these days I'm trying just to have 
almost having no as being my policy answer to most things to do with work. And then if it's a really good opportunity, I'll say yes to it. I'll consider it. But I have to, for my own well-being, have a sort of blanket no to most things and then, yeah, occasionally saying yes. But it's such a tricky one, I think, especially for women where we're we're raised to be good girls and we feel like we're I, I relate to what you said about feeling like it's selfish or you know I, I've got to say I've got, looked through my emails early and I realized I've got to say no to to some kind of event that I've been invited to but th- what's going through my mind is oh she's going to think I'm too big for my boots she's going to yeah. think like who does she think she is <laughs> but I'm going to do it the other thing to bear in mind is by someone asking you whether you want to be involved in something, whether you want to come to an event, they're effectively giving you a choice. So it shouldn't come to a surprise that actually part of that choice might be someone saying no. You know, it's not like they're saying you must come to this event and you're turning around saying no. Actually, they're giving you a choice in the matter. And I think that's the thing that's really, really important to bear in mind. And the other thing, often people struggle to often people will say yes to situations because it will serve them in the long run so for instance I know I mean it was a while ago when I got married but I know that I would say yes to working extra shifts because I knew that I had a wedding to save up for so in that moment as much as I would love to have said no I know that saying yes is going to serve me in the long run it means that the thing that's important to me I having a lovely wedding inviting all my friends and family was important to me so in that situation I had to say yes when maybe I did want to say no. So one of the things that I look at, again, is where saying yes may actually, um, where saying yes might influence kind of the things that are important to you a bit further down the line. Mm, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I guess it comes back to to recognising what's important and um, and really thinking about what you want in the first instance so that can guide your decisions on what you're saying yes to and what you're saying no to yeah no absolutely can can you share about the worry dump method I know that people listening worrying is is likely to be a big issue I think that certainly from the people I speak to overthinking not being able to switch off worrying kind of thoughts that go round and round and round the same thoughts day after day Um, Can you share a bit about that method for us? Yeah. So I think worry is such a common emotion, even more so at the moment. And again, what I was finding is that worry doesn't necessarily serve us. Um, Worry can be all consuming. It can consume our time and energy. And what I wanted to do is I wanted people to feel empowered to acknowledge they were worrying, but have the courage to say, I'll worry about this later, rather than allow it to eat into their day or consume any more of their time and energy. So as an example, it could, let's just take, for instance, us recording. So a worry of mine might be, I'm not really sure whether or not this recording is going to record, or I'm worried that my Zoom might play up or that Chloe hasn't sent me a link. I can turn that worry into a problem that I can solve by emailing you and saying, oh, what's the link for our chat? Um, how do I need to be prepared? And do you have a list of questions that you can send to me? So immediately, rather than allow that worry to consume me, saying, oh, I'm not sure what Chloe's going to ask me. Am I going to be any good? You know, how do I know that the connection's going to run or that the sound recording is going to be a good quality? Instantly, I can nip that worry in, in the bud and say, right, I'm going to turn that into a problem that I can solve. I might not worry 
is something along the lines of, oh God, what happens if Chloe just thinks I'm, you know, really boring and that I've got nothing interesting to say and she might just stop the recording halfway because she just thinks actually nothing that I say is of any value. You can see how that can quickly snowball and it might get in the way of me being able to do the other worry, that's all the problem solving worry. And it can consume a lot of time and energy. It might be- lead me to become very sort of negative and that negative self-talk is really quite damaging. So rather than just allow myself to worry about that unconditionally, I acknowledge that I'm worrying about something, but I, but I label it as a might not worry. So actually Chloe might not think I'm boring. Chloe might not ju- just stop the recording but I postpone it to later. So I have this set time in the the evening called a worry curfew. So for me, it's half seven when I put my little girl to bed, where I list down in the day any worries that would not serve me immediately that I can't readily turn into a problem. So every time a worry crops up into my mind, the first thing I ask myself is, is this a worry that I can turn into a problem that I can solve? If it is, great, just solve the problem there and then. If it's not, just label it, say, this is a might not worry. I'm going to jot this down on the notes section of my phone or in your journal, you know, whichever you prefer. And I'm going to come back to this later in the evening. So by the end of the day, come your worry curfew, you've generated a list of worries that might not have even happened. So for me, if we take my might not worry of Chloe thinking I'm really boring, actually, I can just cross that off and thinking actually worrying about that wouldn't have changed anything or actually we had a really really positive discussion I really enjoyed myself so immediately you feel empowered the fact that you didn't allow that worry to run away with you and so you allow yourself half an hour to kind of work your way through that list of worries and ask yourself what would worrying about this during the day if I'd allowed myself to got in the way of would it have got in the way of you knuckling down and doing your work would it got in the way of actually positive connections with you know, friends, family members. And then once that worry curfew is over, delete the note section on your phone or, you know, scrunch up the piece of paper, chuck it in the bin and return and do the same thing the following day. So the idea being that by the end of that sort of days, weeks of practicing that, you get very good at compartmentalizing your worry. You get very good at recognizing what worries are going to serve you in the immediate and what worries are not going to serve you, um, which is a really, really empowering feeling. I, lo- I really like that idea of scrunching it up and putting it in the bin, actually, of just being able to kind of, yeah, get rid of it afterwards. Um, that sounds quite cathartic in itself. And I suppose, yeah, knowing that just know that we can do something about some of those worries, I think yeah. is empowering, as you say, we don't have to just ruminate over and over again that kind of momentum that comes with taking some action and feeling a bit of control over something that can seem quite out of control when it's in our heads. Just, yeah, I love that idea. I think that's a really powerful, powerful tool. Um, I was really curious to know how you take care of your own mental well-being. Are there certain practices and things that you incorporate into your own life? So for me, exercise is number one so I don't mean kind of exercises necessarily having to do a hit workout or whatever but any form of movement in the day um, and I think that's the thing that maybe lockdown has taught me to be better at because I would be commuting to a clinic and then I'd be quite sedentary most of the day because I'd be sat at my desk and then I'd be seeing patients and you know during my lunch hour I'd 
I'd be one of those people that would have lunch at my desk. Uh, you know, there was not much movement. But actually, over the last 10 weeks, I've been really disciplined about getting outside and just moving, really looking forward to family walks with my husband and my daughter. I've been really relishing those opportunities um, because it's so, so important. I think all too often, exercise can have this really bad rap of being only for aesthetic purposes but actually think about sort of the mental health benefits that you stand to gain from exercise and for me I know particularly if I do it first thing on the morning it just sets me up for the day it gives me more energy it lifts my mood improves my focus and I think it it definitely helps with my sleep later on as well so I think exercise definitely um and just time with my daughter as well. I, I, I do enjoy those kind of things like baking and, ha- and not feeling so rushed as well. Um, so that's really important to me. Yeah, I love how lockdown has shown us, you know, how important these kind of simple things in life that don't have to cost anything, don't involve going on holiday or spending money or doing anything. It's just spending time with each other or being outside in nature. I think it's helping us to connect all those things. So it's only a good thing. Absolutely. Um, Is there anything that you're struggling with at the moment? And um, how are you kind of handling that? So I think, obviously, pre-lockdown, I work full time. And um, often I call on my mother-in-law, who's so, so supportive. She only lives down the road to help out with childcare. And because she's in the vulnerable group, we've not been able to utilise that. And so it's kind of getting used to not being afraid to delegate to my husband, which sounds ridiculous, but he's, again, he works really long hours. um, He's very busy. But often what we're finding is the pattern of me doing the drop-offs and pickups, and if I couldn't do it, getting his mum to do it instead, was just kind of a, a bad habit that we'd fallen into. And actually what's really quite good is that by saying to him look you're going to have to muck in and help out a bit more has been really empowering and also for him has been really great because actually he's really enjoyed doing the drop-offs and pickups you know I think he's by his own admission got a bit lazy thinking oh well my mum really likes to do it and actually that's grandma granddaughter time which is lovely but actually I think it's made him evaluate as well that that time in the car um, with our daughter sort of nattering in the background is stuff that he had missed out on. Um, so for me, I think not being afraid to delegate or to say, look, I'm doing X, Y, and Z, so you need to kind of pull your weight and do do this as well. Um, because I think communication is absolutely key. I could just sit on it and, and just dwell and think, oh, God, he's not pulling his weight. He's not doing what I want him to. But how is that situation going to improve unless we communicate about it? So I think mm. for me... Uh, I, I could have got myself potentially in a situation where I, I didn't delegate. And again, I, I, I focus on this um, within the book about how we deal with pressure and feeling under pressure, feeling the need to do everything ourselves because we'll do it better or no one can do it as well as we can, but actually letting go of some of that to help us in the long run. And so that's something that I've definitely benefited from. Right. Yeah. I know that my, my partner has um, gotten better at, tidying and cleaning and lockdown it was a it was not something he was that uh familiar with before but I think he is learning so it's good we're, we're learning things about our partners and ourselves and <laughs> proving our communication it's all good um amazing thank you so much for everything that you shared today it's been so so helpful um where can people find out more about you 
buy your book anything else that you're up to at the moment so I'm mostly on Instagram and my handle's at the mind medic and generally I'll post um lots of tips and tools on that most days and any events I'm doing that'll be really the first place to go and you can buy my book it's available on pre-order um but it's available to order on Amazon available WH Smith Waterstones and all good bookshops as well Amazing. Yeah. So thank you so much for speaking to me today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me on. You have been listening to the Karma You podcast with me, Chloe Brotheridge. Don't forget you can download loads of freebies for anxiety and confidence at my website, karmayou.com. You can also find out about my app and my one-on-one sessions. Please do subscribe to this podcast in the Apple Podcast app. And if you have enjoyed it or found it helpful, please leave me a review. It makes a massive difference to helping the podcast get discovered by other people. And come on over and find me on Instagram. I'm hanging out there every day. You can find me at Chloe Brotheridge. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please do share it with anyone who might need to hear this today. So I'm sending you loads of love and I hope you have a brilliant week ahead. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 